This is Transforming Culture, an MBC podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Transforming Culture, brought to you by Muskoka Bible Center. I'm your host, Luke LaRock, and we're grateful that you're back for another chance to learn about how we engage with cultural issues from a biblical perspective. We're coming up on the halfway mark of the season, and I'm so grateful for those of you who have shared with me how meaningful this podcast has been to you. Our prayer is that these episodes will be a relevant, helpful part of your walk with God. Speaking of relevant, our topic today was not something that I expected to be quite so in the news when I first planned this session. Back in January, we invited our speaker, Dr. Laura Lewis, to speak on the abortion debate, and we were not expecting that the Supreme Court of the United States would overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade decision later in the spring. It caused a lot of celebration on one side and a lot of fear on the other. And in either case, it was so helpful to know that Dr. Lewis was coming to speak with us during the summer and that we're here now in the fall releasing this episode for you. Dr. Laura Lewis has served as the Executive Director of Pregnancy Care Canada since May 2016. Pregnancy Care Canada is a Christ-centered national organization seeking to establish, equip, and encourage local pregnancy care centers across the country. After working for 22 years as a family physician, Dr. Lewis saw the need for education, support, and practical options for women and men who are facing an unexpected pregnancy. She has an honors BCom degree from Queen's University, a medical degree from the University of Western Ontario, and a certificate in family medicine from McMaster University. She is a lovely person to interview. She is so thoughtful and kind. And so without further ado, here is Dr. Lewis and her talk from the summer about the abortion debate. It is my pleasure to be here. What a beautiful place to learn and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, to learn how to live as part of the greater kingdom and to help usher in the fragrance of heaven into our world, into a culture that is pretty broken in some places. And yet we know the one who can fully heal and restore all that is broken. And thank you for coming out to hear more about the life issue. This is an area that can get very challenging, polarizing, difficult. There's a lot of pain attached to it. And so thank you for being open. And I pray that you will hear what I'm saying and that it will touch, minister, or raise awareness where the Lord would have you here. So to transform views and ideologies, first, we have to be aware that change is even needed. And perhaps that's where we need to start. How do we create a culture that considers life to be intrinsically valuable, that Christianity merits consideration, that the Bible is a living word, and that during our greatest times of pain and despair, hope and healing are possible A culture with the power to transform makes room for the kindness of God that changes hearts and changes lives. Romans 2.4. I'd like to start with a story. One night when I was in medical school, it was dark out. I was going to school in London, Ontario, and um, a young woman had been killed not long before. She'd been stalked by someone and murdered. And so this was going through a lot of our minds. We were nervous. And so I had to get money out of an ATM at a downtown London machine. And so I pulled up to the machine. And in my mind, I thought, I hope no one is stalking me. And as I got into the ATM, it was glassed in and I was nervous. And I kept thinking, I better be careful. I better hide my money that no one would mug me. 
And as I took out the money, I was very aware of this, and I, I looked up, and staring in through the glass was a very rough-looking hobo. And I jumped back, and the hobo jumped back. And then I realized that I was looking at my own reflection. That is a true story, and I never wore that jacket again. <laughs> and, and I never forgot the power of our bias. We all have a worldview bias. And if for those of you who believe the Bible, who are Christians and believe that worldview, that is a bias, and one I happen to agree with. But when we're considering the life issue, it's equal import, equally important for us to know what do I believe about abortion? Why do I believe that? And how should I talk to my friends and family who may not share my worldview regarding abortion? And this is a critical question. Is my goal to build a bridge that would draw them closer to the Lord? Or is my goal to win an argument, to be right? Having clarity on that matters. It helps us to live in our world without being of the world, to be light and salt in our sphere of influence. Tonight, my goal is that you will leave with a greater understanding of how to care for others who are experiencing an unexpected pregnancy and to show grace and mercy to individuals who may have experienced a prior abortion, that they would feel welcomed to a path of healing and restoration, particularly in the church. The abortion discussion has intensified with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. In brief, Roe v. Wade was a 1973 landmark Supreme Court decision in the United States that ruled that the United States Constitution protected a pregnant woman's right to choose an abortion without excessive government restriction. This, this decision was overturned last month and there has been a lot of uproar, anger, misinterpretation, and at times violence. Overturning Roe v. Wade did not outlaw abortion in the United States. It returned the legal governance of abortion to the individual states. However, abortion activists in Canada have used this upheaval to champion their mandate to normalize abortion care and to cast dispersions on any group that views this matter differently, framing them as a threat to abortion access in Canada, a threat that must be removed. There are a couple of important points on this issue about how it relates to Canada. The first is that Canada has no abortion law. So Canada and North Korea, I think we're the only two countries in the world with no abortion law whatsoever. The last law was struck down in 1988, and so in Canada, it is legal to have an abortion up until nine months, until the baby is, has fully exited the birth canal. Now, that there are medical restrictions and guidelines that tend to govern that provincially, but there are no laws. The second point is that reproductive choice must include alternatives to abortion and respect for the validity of not choosing abortion. And sometimes this concept is lost in the noise. Sadly, we are in a time, and this may sound melodramatic, but you are either pro-abortion or you're canceled. In popular culture, in mainstream media, and by our government. Today, I serve as the Executive Director of Pregnancy Care Canada, we are a national best practice Christian affiliation of over 80 pregnancy care centers extending from PEI to Vancouver Island. And we help to establish, equip, train, and encourage local pregnancy care centers to do the amazing work that they do every day. I have such a deep belief in the importance of local pregnancy care centers that in 2016, I left my family practice after 22 years and took on this role as executive director. And I love it, most days. <laughs> For many years, I never thought about abortion. 
Even after completing my medical degree, I learned about the unique DNA blueprint that was formed at the moment of conception. The embryology where the heart beats at three weeks after conception, that at 12 weeks you can see the baby's fingerprints. I knew all of these things, but in our medical training, it was really separated. There was abortion was used to help a woman fix her problem as she perceived it. And then there was the science over here. And we were really taught to have more of a hands-off approach, not like the other healthcare decisions, which really did involve an informed decision-making process. I also never considered the impact of abortion on women, nor did I ask my patients afterwards. Once I became involved in this work, initially by helping to start a local pregnancy care center in our town, uh, women began to tell me their stories, both in my medical practice, but also just in the community. I heard the hidden sorrow and regret. I was pressured into it. I didn't feel I had any other choice. No one supported me. If only someone had said, you can do this. I was surprised by what I heard, and I wondered why my patients had never told me how they felt afterwards, but I never asked. I just thought this is a hard decision and we don't have to talk about it. In Canada, half of all pregnancies are unexpected and that one in three women will have an abortion in their lifetime, one in three. So that might be you, your spouse, your friend, your daughter, someone in your small group. Today, when we speak about abortion, we must be mindful of how the audience has changed over 50 years. It's no longer an out there issue. It's an in here matter, no longer uncommon. Do we want to build a bridge and help transform mindsets? Do we want to help the woman or man who's had an abortion and maybe dealing with great grief and regret? Or do we want to be right? We can be right, but still be wrong. We can be right about the value of each life and the tragedy of abortion, but the way we communicate, we sound like a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong that no one will listen to. I'd like to introduce you now to my friend, Lisa. My name's Lisa, I'm 32, and I'm a Métis and my husband's First Nations. At 15, I became pregnant for the first time. I never thought that I would become pregnant out of wedlock, and I always thought that if I ever, be, ever became pregnant, I would just be a mother. An abortion was never even a thought that would cross my mind. I talked to my parents about it, and they told me if I was to keep the baby, I could no longer live with them. So being 15, I felt like I didn't have a choice. I had nowhere else to go. I remember my dad taking me I believe I was about 12 or 13 weeks along when it was done, and I didn't really think that there was any baby anyway. It was just tissue, which is what I was told. When I was 16, I became pregnant for the second time, and by this time I was living on my own. I told my mom and dad that I would have the baby, I was gonna keep the baby, and they were okay with it. But this time the pressure came from my boyfriend's family and him to have an abortion. He kept telling me that he didn't want to be part of a baby's life, he didn't want to be a father, but I was pre prepared to do it on my own until his sisters and his mom got on the phone with me and convinced me that if I kept the baby, I was being selfish and I was going to ruin his life. This time I was about 16 weeks along, so it had to be a longer procedure. I remember one doctor inserting something to make me dilate and that doctor casually saying abortion isn't birth control. The third abortion that I had, I was 18 and by this time I was really suicidal. So when I became pregnant, I, I was at the point that I didn't even want to bring a baby into the world and 
this time it was completely my decision and I was 22 weeks. It was a two-day procedure. They inserted the seaweed into me and at that time the doctor told me you probably won't be able to have kids because you've had three abortions. They finished it up and sent me into the recovery room where I recovered for an hour and I pretty much buried it and forgot about it until I had my babies with my husband and it was then that I saw them on ultrasound and felt them moving and kicking and it was then that I knew that that it wasn't just tissue. Lisa's story is hard to listen to, but sadly, it isn't unique. Lisa found hope and healing through her relationship with Jesus Christ, and now she allows her story to be used for the sake of others. But it takes a lot of courage for women to share those details. As you consider how to engage in the life issue in our culture, my hope is that you will remember Lisa and the many women like her who didn't feel they had a choice other than abortion. Lisa experienced pressure first from her parents, then from her boyfriend and his mother and his sisters. And for her last abortion, she had no hope for a better future. Are we okay with this? Is this what choice sounds like? When it comes to the value of each life, God's word is very clear, and I'll read only a few verses, but there are many. Psalm 127.3, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are a gift, not a burden. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, 13 to 16 underscores that each life is known by God and conceived by him. David declares, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your books, book before one of them came to be. A statement that is true for each life and for each of you here tonight. You are known and loved by God, chosen by him, created in his image, and that is where your value is secure and eternal. It can't be stolen by a culture that doesn't see it. Scripture is clear on the value of life and the need to protect it. And scripture is also clear about the times when the Israelites fell into idol worship of foreign gods such as Baal, Asherah, and the Canaanite deity of Molech, associated with the practice of child sacrifice. For example, in 2 Kings 21, King Manasseh sacrificed his own child in the fire, his own son. As Christians, we can study these verses and heed the warnings, yet we live in a diverse culture. Not everyone cares what the Bible says. Many view abortion differently, and speak about it in a way that seems nonchalant and even careless. Global News released an Ipsos poll last week, and the article states that although support for abortion access has increased over the last decade, it wavers for younger age groups. Respondents between the ages of 18 to 34 showed the least support for access to abortion whenever it's wanted compared to older generations, so abortion on demand. And although that wasn't a highlighted feature of the article, when I read that, I was encouraged. It stood out to me. So perhaps there's more cultural transformation going on than we're aware of. The younger generation thinks there should be some restrictions and limits. 
So what does it look like to engage with a post-Christian culture that thinks the Bible is a fairy tale? A culture that worships self above everything else, whatever makes you happy? It sounds like a nice slogan, but um, such a statement is anchored on feelings and feelings are fickle. It's like building a house on a sand. They shift and change. In John 15, Jesus states, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. It's hard to live a countercultural life, to be hated, discounted, and discredited. It's hard at my age, but I know that it's hard to feel like that when you don't fit in as a teenager or a young adult. And perhaps you're still on your own journey with Christianity and working through the questions and the uncertainty. Wherever you may be, it can be hard to be salt and light in a culture that is hardened and not open. I've often found this statement helpful. If we labor for the applause of men, we will die by their criticisms. We need to choose a kingdom perspective, God's perspective, not that of the culture. Jesus is our example. Even as he hung on the cross, as he was being crucified, mocked, and ridiculed by those around him, he uttered these powerful words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May we protect our heart attitude towards others when they don't agree with us, when they mock, ridicule, and dishonor us, and release unjust edicts. May our heart posture remain tender like that of our Lord. May we seek to be unoffendable yet courageous, not needing to be understood or valued while remaining anchored in truth. How do we help influence and transform culture to bring hope where there is fear and despair, to bring God's love into dark and difficult places? How can we speak truth with compassion, truth that draws and does not repel? The noise surrounding the abortion issue today is angry, condemning, and harsh on all sides. This is an issue of revelation, and you cannot force someone to believe something. Yet speaking truth and love can help soften someone's heart. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. If you want people to have a revelation of the value of each life created in the image of God, we need to speak in a manner that invites them in rather than repels them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the next verse is very important yet often not mentioned. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At times, we can sound like a mouthpiece of condemnation, harsh, unloving, unwelcoming to those who may be on a very challenging life path with messy circumstances, troubled relationships, wounded souls, and overwhelming confusion. Apologetics or reasoned arguments about the life issue are helpful to be familiar with. They don't rely on a biblical worldview. And I encourage you to learn how to use reasoned arguments based on science and logic. But tonight I want to focus on the person before us, the person currently living out the tension we may want to argue about. Let us understand the privilege of having a discussion with someone who may be looking for a way forward and yet cannot see any alternative other than abortion. How do we help them envision a different future to have hope? If they don't have hope, they will live by their fears and the fears will determine their decisions. May our words be filled with grace and may we meet them on their journey and walk with them. A writer, Frederica Matthews Green, wrote a well-circulated article in 2016 
entitled, When Abortion Suddenly Stopped Making Sense. In it, she writes this comment. We expected that abortion would be rare. What we didn't realize was that once abortion becomes available, it becomes the most attractive option for everyone around the pregnant woman. If she has an abortion, it's like the pregnancy never existed. No one is inconvenienced. It doesn't cause trouble for the father of the baby or her boss or the person in charge of her college scholarship. It won't embarrass her mom or dad. Most women do not set out thinking that they want to have an abortion. Yet when faced with an unexpected pregnancy, over 98% of abortions are done for elective reasons, not the hard cases of rape and incest and a life-threatening condition, but elective reasons. And the most common ones include not feeling financially ready, not with the right partner, it's not the right timing, I don't wanna forgo my dreams and plans, I feel embarrassed, and maybe feeling pressured by others. In 2017, there was a study done in the US and it was based on a thousand women who reached out to a crisis pregnancy center. So this is a skewed sample. These were women who'd had an abortion and then were reaching out to a Christian pregnancy care center. But of the thousand women, three out of four of them said that they had experienced some form of pressure uh, to have an abortion from other people. And over one half had their abortion to make others happy. And one third had the abortion out of fear of losing their partner. So if someone in your life reaches out to you and tells you that they are unexpectedly pregnant, remember the simple acronym, love. And as you love the woman, you are also loving the unborn child because they are intertwined. L stands for listen. Don't assume you know what she's thinking. Ask her, use open-ended questions. Thank you for telling me this. Tell me more, what's going on? Let her tell her story and then reflect back to you and ask her to refle reflect back to her what you're hearing. Help to calm her fear because fear can be blinding. I remember one patient, she and her husband had two kids and she came in one day and she said, I, I need an abortion. And it came a bit out of the blue and I asked her, well, what's going on? And then she started to tell me that she was having terrible morning sickness and that she wasn't able to care for her two children. So in her mind, she had felt that being a good mother was having an abortion because she wanted to be able to care well for her children. And so I asked her, you know, have you tried anything? And she said, no. And so I said, well, there are some, you know, medically safe options. Would you like to try something? And she, she did, she tried it and she felt fine and she carried on with her pregnancy. And sometimes I'd see that their third child hopping on the bus and that's the importance of asking questions and listening because sometimes the reason behind the decision, now that was a pretty simple one. They're not always as simple. The O in love stands for open. Encourage her to be open about what's going on in her heart. Once someone feels heard, they're more likely to talk about some of the other things that, they, that are spinning around in their head. And when people are faced with an unexpected pregnancy, a woman can often feel conflicted. There can be this battle. She might initially feel a little bit excited. And I've had patients that, that would come in, they'd be asking for an abortion, but then they'd also say that they were taking prenatal vitamins and that they'd stop drinking. So there was a conflict. So in their mind, they might be thinking about all the what ifs, they can't do this, circumstances that really are challenging. But circumstances can change. And so it's helpful to talk with them about the circumstances and help them look at them and consider whether maybe those are things that could be dealt with or changed, or maybe they'll be different in a year. And also just to help her identify some of her values or what's in her heart 
those patients that were already taking prenatal vitamins, you know, just being able to ask. So it's interesting that you already started on those. Can you tell me more about that? The V is to remind her of her value and help her create a vision for her future. So this is a time to tell her about the strengths that you see in her and speak truth into her life and to remind her that she does not have to make this decision alone. It's normal to feel uncertain. This does not define who she is as a person. This may change her future, but it does not have to limit it. There are people who will help her and no matter what she decides, she has value and is loved. And maybe even ask her some what if questions. What if your relationship ends, but what if, that, if you're happier? What if you turn out to be a great mom? What if this ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you? I remember talking to one couple, their 22-year-old daughter was unexpectedly pregnant and the father was so concerned that she was so young and they were worried that she'd end up on her own. And this part about her age kept coming up and I said, you know, 22 actually, medically speaking, is a very good age to have a baby. Physiologically, it's probably the best age for a woman to have a baby. And there was something that changed in the father's perspective upon hearing that and it helped him to consider a more positive what if scenario. So it's important to listen in order to hear what's not being said or what's fueling the fear. The E is empower her with resources, referrals, and support. Continue to listen to her as new fears or doubts arise. Rise. Offer to sit with her as she tells her family or friends help connect her with local support agencies. And if you have a local pregnancy care center in your community, they are fantastic. Connect her with that agency and celebrate with her. Celebrate the pregnancy, plan a baby shower, buy baby items, offer to pray with her if she's open to that and let her know that she's not alone. And remember that you do not control the outcome. We all have free choice, free will. God has not taken, our ability, taken away our ability to make good choices and bad choices and to experience consequences. Years ago, I had a patient who was about 21, and she came in, and she was pregnant, and she seemed unsure about her decision. And I thought I was just reflecting back some of that and speaking some hope and what I saw in her. She left and she ended up having the abortion and she wouldn't come back to see me because she felt that I judged her. I didn't. I'd actually forgotten all about her, not to sound callous, but I had. I, and I didn't judge her, but she felt judged. And so she was probably judging herself. But years later, she returned to my practice and after a very rough life journey, and I had the privilege of caring for her during another pregnancy. And each time I met with her, I was reminded of God's incredible grace and mercy, freely given to me so that I may in turn freely give. May we not forget this great privilege. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. May our love and gratitude for what he has done in our lives be signposts for others to find him. In closing, we are in a time of great opportunity to be messengers of hope and peace in our culture. Many will never read the Bible, but they will read us and our lives and how we conduct ourselves. Our character and love can be the most transformative tools we have as we remain anchored in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, we will love others and serve others as ourselves. And we will see our culture transformed for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being alive at this time in history to be positioned as messengers of your hope and love in our culture, 
to be part of your great plan, one that is victorious, good, and for the redemption of all things. Lord, help us to see where, where we are blind, that we may fully engage with what you are doing. Father, forgive us for being harsh when you've asked us to be gentle, fearful when you have positioned us for boldness, and stubborn when you have shown us a better way. As we know better, may we do better. And Jesus, may your healing flood our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Lord, for anyone here tonight who has experienced pain from abortion, whether their own abortion or through their involvement with someone else, God, I pray you will meet them and minister truth to them, that they will forgive others and forgive themselves, that they will be reminded of their eternal, unchanging value that is not lost in a mistake or in many mistakes. Jesus, we thank you that as we turn to you and allow your blood to wash over us, you set us free, you make us whole, and you release us into the earth for your kingdom purposes. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen. I'm so thrilled that we were able to have a speaker of Dr. Lewis's caliber with us on the podcast, and I'm excited that we also got a chance to dive a little deeper with her during a conversation recorded a few days later this summer. Dr. Lewis is an incredibly thoughtful and generous speaker, and she brings the same thing to our Q&A session. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, it is a real joy to have you on the podcast and talk a little bit more in depth about some of the things you shared with us during your talk during the summer, Transforming Culture. Um, yeah, it's this is a hard topic for a lot of people. And I was sharing with you earlier before we started recording that there's just so much uh, weight to what's happening. Uh, and especially these days, when we asked you to come speak at NBC in the summer, I had no clue that the Roe v. Wade decision in the States would be changing the way it did. It was honestly off my radar. And so uh, it felt very much like a God moment that suddenly all these people are interested in talking about the life movement, uh, pro-life, pro-choice, anti-life, anti-choice. You know, there's all these words that people use to try to change and influence the conversation. And I'm just so grateful that you're here. Uh, and as we heard, when you spoke, you speak with gentleness and love in your heart. And that's something that, you know, right off the hop, I just would be so interested in hearing your thoughts on a little bit more because I know so many times we have very firm positions on something like abortion. Uh, and yet, as you said, it, it can be very easy to lose someone if you don't have the right sound to the way that we speak. What's your experience like with that? Is that something you've always felt you needed to have that approach? Or is that something you've grown into uh, as you've kind of experienced pregnancy care centers across Canada? That's a good question. I, I probably have always had that approach because for most of my life, I would have considered myself pro-choice or pro um, the option of abortion. So it wasn't until halfway through my medical career that I actually had a revelation about the value of life and had a different perspective. And so I know very well what it, what it was like to have a different viewpoint. And I know what it was like when people tried to yell at me or talk to me about things that I didn't agree with. And it didn't help me open up my mind or my heart or my understanding. Uh, even my journey to Christ, it was because I witnessed love, because I saw the fruit and gentleness of love in action, that I was able to let down, I suppose, some of the barriers I had and actually receive that revelation. So with this issue, it is very polarized and there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of hurt a lot of judgments and condemnation. And so I honestly believe that if we want to see culture transformed as Christians, we have to enter that space with grace, mm. with love, with kindness, with gentleness, so that we can build bridges to understanding. Yeah. And it's honestly having, and I shared with you earlier, you know, my, my story of wandering from faith for a little while meant that I didn't really have a position on it as a man. I didn't feel like I had a right to a position. I know uh, that that's a tough thing because most times everyone is called to have an, you have to have an opinion on everything. Um, but in this particular one, it's very difficult. And so to hear as a man, you know, because I feel like I'll get quote unquote canceled if I don't 
uh, have that opinion. And I, I want to come back and talk about that specific question later. But I just, I really do appreciate that you, um, you're able to see both sides in a way. Um, and, and to be honest, it makes me think about all sorts of issues that Christians wrestle with. Sometimes we lack the ability to see both sides. Um, if you were to speak to someone who kind of comes from a pro-life position, someone who has grown up in the church, do you, do you have any kind of words of wisdom that you might give to help them understand where the other side is coming from? Is it fear? Is it anger? Because a lot of times I feel, um, the abortion debate can be really driven by fear. There's a lot of fear. Um, you know, a woman comes into a pregnancy care center or into an abortion clinic and there's fear, there's uncertainty. Um, what is it like for someone who's maybe not a Christian, doesn't consider themselves pro-life, they would consider themselves pro-choice. Do you have any thoughts about that? Help, help us understand maybe just so that everyone who's listening can have a little bit more grace and humility towards people who might think differently. I remember when I was at university, when I went to business school and Henry Morgenthaler came mm, to speak wow. and I went and listened to him and I agreed with him. I thought women should have the right to have an abortion. And when I went outside, I saw people picketing, pro-life people picketing. And I remember that was when I was about 21 or so. And I remember thinking, it's easy for you to be pro-life when you're already in your 40s and you've had your children. So for me, with my framework of what I understood with my worldview, it, it didn't make sense that that option wouldn't be available. And so now the work that I'm in, it isn't about arguing laws or even availability, but it's about understanding the value of each life and then understanding that many times women, when they're challenged with an unexpected pregnancy, it is fear that can come in and make them feel overwhelmed. And many times those conversations are being dismissed as being not needed but I've mm. spoken to young women who've said, you know, I went to the abortion clinic looking for some answers, wanting to talk with them. And I became so filled with fear because the information they got was, well, how will you do this? Your parents aren't supporting you. You have no money. You don't have a job. You haven't finished your schooling. And they just ended up being so overwhelmed with fear that they felt that really the abortion was the only option. And so the work that I'm involved in is about ensuring people know that there are more options and alternatives to abortion and entering that space in a way that understands the various worldviews that exist. Hmm. It's uh, as I reflected on the various topics we've been talking about over the course of the summer and then turning these into a podcast. Um, one thing that struck me about this particular issue is that it's, it's polarizing like all the other issues, but it's also a very, it feels like a very definitive moment. Um, you know, some of the other conversations we've had about um, engaging folks who are LGBTQ, race and reconciliation, um, political engagement, those are conversations that can happen over a long period of time. You know, I, my position can be fluid because uh, it's okay to like, in the moment I can make this decision or that decision. With something like an abortion, it it is an action that is taken and it can't be undone. Um, I can apologize to someone if I say something politically incorrect. They might not be happy with me, but I can take the, the step of apologizing and even changing my position on it. And in most cases, it feels like, you know, no harm, no foul. I apologize for making that mistake. But with abortion, there is a definitive choice that's being made. Uh, and that, I think, to me feels like it's polarizing for a lot of people too, because it's, it's quote unquote undoable. Um, and I think that there's a lot of fear on some sides as well with that. People who feel, you know, you cannot make this one mistake. If you make this one mistake, that's the end. Um, and, and again, I, I want to be hospitable. It happens on both sides. If you have an abortion, well then one side might say, you know, it's, it's the cardinal sin, the ultimate sin, which biblically we know is not true. <laughs> and on the other side, if you, you know, don't have the abortion because you want to be pro-life or pro-option, maybe whatever the terminology we could use is, then that's also a cardinal sin, you know, worthy of being canceled if you're pro-life. 
is there any chance that we can be less polarized on this issue because it's so decision based or is it an all or nothing? And that's kind of a big philosophical question. Um, but I know a lot of Christians I know are wondering, how can I support people who are pro-choice, but who also know that I'm pro-life? Is there any way that we can connect? Definitely. Although these topics, there's a polarizing view, pro-life, pro-choice. There is a third way, and that's often a term that's used in the pregnancy help movement, a third way. And that's really the space that pregnancy care centers occupy. So although we may have a view, a worldview that values every life and abortion is not consistent with that, we do respect that individuals have free choice. And in the climate that we live in, abortion is legal. Women do have access to abortion. And so what does it look like then to respect a woman's right to make her own informed pregnancy decision, mm. even if it goes against what we might personally consider to be the the choice she would we would want her to make. Mm. And so in the intersection of the two extremes, really you will find pregnancy care centers and just trying to walk with people on their journey, helping them have information so that they can make a well-informed decision that no one after the fact would say, but I didn't know no one was there to support me. If only someone mm. had said, you can do this and we'll help you. Yeah. And so much of that comes down to the love that I think, or at least, you know, as a man, <laughs> I haven't personally visited a pregnancy care center, um, but the love that people have expressed uh, experiencing when visiting a pregnancy care center for a variety of reasons, not just, I have an unexpected pregnancy, what do I do? so many people that I've, I've read about or heard about who have had an abortion and regret it express exactly that, that they didn't have the support network that they thought they needed to make it through the pregnancy and, you know, whatever might happen after. Um, part of our family, my family story is that we have an adopted son um, and that's a big joy for us. Um, but we understand that our gain is someone else's loss. And uh, in the public adoption that we went through, we, we have a partnership with our son's uh, birth mother. And so we twice a year experience that loss because we can see it written on her face. Uh, and that is heartbreaking. And yet we also feel called to love her and to support her through that, to see her made whole. And if I were to, to take that feeling, although not um, the same story, I would want any woman who's experiencing an unplanned pregnancy to have the same sort of hope and love and support network around her. And I, I just wonder, you know, you talked about the love acronym tonight that you explained wasn't it's, I think it was heartbeat international. You said that kind of developed that and you've adapted it. Practically speaking, if, if I, if I know someone who's maybe experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, what's, what's my first step? You know, I was expressing to you earlier, if someone says to me, I'm pregnant and I don't, know that they want to have the pregnancy happening, do I even say congratulations, right? That's a very practical thing that makes me nervous because I don't want to hurt them. I want to show them love and support. And in our culture today, sometimes love and support looks like not saying something. And sometimes it looks like walking alongside someone. Do you have any thoughts on kind of first steps for someone who's walking with someone? Maybe they haven't even visited the pregnancy care center yet or whatever clinic they're going to do uh, to visit. What, what do I do? I like the question, you know, should you always jump in with congratulations? And I would mm -hmm. caution that people not do that because not everyone, you, if you can read the situation, sometimes it's very obvious. Someone's very excited. They're, it's written all over their face and obviously, right. yes, yeah. congratulations. But I know in my medical practice, um, you know, I was, I needed to be careful that I didn't assume this was something that they were excited about because if you jump in with the congratulations, you must be so excited. You shut the door to a conversation right. because if they're not excited, if they're not sure what they want to do, they won't necessarily view you as someone that they can talk about uh, their doubts with. Right. So I think you need to be able to read the person, discern whether or not they're overtly excited and take your cues from there. If you're unsure, then just ask. So how are you feeling about that? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, um, you know, so my, 
you know, I've just shared my wife and I have adopted a child and, you know, we're open to future adoptions, you know, as kind of God leads that we're not fixed one way or the other on how many kids are going to be in our family and all of that. As a man, I, I really struggle with how to uh, express my sentiments about the abortion debate um, in culture nowadays, and, and especially in the U.S. with all the Roe v. Wade things that have gone on. There's a lot of signs that say things like, if you don't have a uterus, you don't have an opinion or hands off my body and things like that. And culturally, I can understand where that's coming from because we are a very individualistic society. Um, and yet at the same time, I have this deep longing to see people happy and healthy. You know, my my personal position that that comes from a pro-life position, it can be true, but I often feel called to silence because otherwise I'm not being supportive of people who might think differently than me. But even in hearing you speak, I'm realizing that it means that I'm not being supportive of people who, th who think the same as me either, because it just means I'm completely hands off and saying, this isn't my problem. So I'm curious, how as a man can I be supportive of uh, women who are um, fighting for life options, fighting for the third way. Is there a specific calling on me as a man to support that? Or should I be a little bit more reticent and keep standing back and support quietly? Yeah, that's, it's a thing that I wonder a lot, to be honest. And I'm sure many people, many men listening wonder that. How can I help if my voice isn't heard? Because we frequently hear from culture men are not allowed to have an opinion on this issue. Yeah, and that's a tragic state that we're in, honestly, because we know that uh, men are very involved, very involved in pregnancies, and men have been deeply hurt by abortion, by the loss of their control over the outcome of, of a pregnancy. Hmm. And although we don't hear those stories as often, there are stories where men have to go through their own healing journey from not really feeling they had a voice in the outcome mm. of their the pregnancy or maybe just dealing with the regret of partnering in that abortion decision. Mm. But in terms of how as men can you get involved in a way that supports, I think for one, it's not buying into the lie that you mm. don't have a voice and mm. many women, like just speaking to a partner, so a male partner, culture says you should just tell a woman, it's your choice. I'll support you in whatever you want to do. But often for a woman, what they hear is it, you're on your own. Mm. I'm not really invested in this decision. So one of the first things, if you're the male partner of someone with an unexpected pregnancy is, you know what, I'm in this with you and we're going to figure it out. And so don't abandon her in the decision. Mm. That would be important in terms of walking alongside young couples or couples or, or women or men. It's, it's also just about showing up and saying, you know, this is, this might be a difficult time. Can I help? Can I pray for you? Is there some way I can support you? And that might not be putting it on your social media, but practically showing up. And certainly pregnancy care centers, developing men's mentorship programs is a, is a big part of what we are praying to see because the men also have uh, the need for support and uh, practical help and guidance. Yeah. So there, yeah, I just, I'm, as a woman, I am sorry that often men feel shut out. Yeah. And honestly, it's one of our prayers because we have a lot of women involved in this work and we are always praying, Lord, may the men feel like there is a place for them and where we have made them feel like there isn't, we are sorry. Yeah. I became a dad at 28 and, you know, unexpected pregnancy, a hoped for pregnancy with our daughter. And I still felt woefully underprepared to be a father. Uh, definitely some whoops moments in the first few weeks of life. And our daughter, by God's grace, is through that and, you know, nothing major or anything, just some, oh man, if they knew how bad I was prepared for this, they never would have let me take this child home from the hospital. And that's something, you know, I had a book that I read and all these things. I can only imagine for a family with an unwanted pregnancy how much harder that must be. And so I love the idea of partnering with and, you know, men's mentorship programs. 
Um, and I just, I guess, commend to our listeners that if they know of a local pregnancy care center, is that something that most pregnancy care centers would be hoping for? Is that a part of the program, so to speak? Or is that something that is new, a new movement towards these men mentorship, male mentorship programs? I believe that some centers have better developed programs than others. Okay. But many are aware of it. They're open to developing more men's mentorship. Uh, but yeah, it would depend on the center. Okay. You, you spoke earlier about social media. And I think as we, as we wrap up, I, I think about how so much of the, the tension comes from how easy it is to post your opinion or my opinion or anyone's opinion on social media to stake a claim in the ground and say, this is what I think. And, you know, it, it's almost like a badge of honor. If you're willing to post your pro-life or pro-choice position on social media, it means you really care. And yet it, it seems like most other things in social media, it's becoming so toxic. Um, it's, it's really heartbreaking because it means this thing that's meant to connect people is pulling people apart. Do you have any recommendations or any thoughts about how to thoughtfully engage with the abortion debate in social media? Is it something that we should just avoid talking about online and try to have in-person conversations? And I ask that question not because I'm trying to be silly about it, but because I often feel like battles can be won or lost on social media or in the, the media sphere in general. Um, and yet I don't want to cede territory to a point of view that I don't agree with. Um, because if I do that, then people will just think everyone agrees with the other side. There's no one who agrees with me. Is there any chance that we could possibly speak thoughtfully on social media or is it just not worth it anymore? Definitely. It's still an area that can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And we see that in all media. So definitely, I don't believe that we should just abandon the camp and think that it's not of any use. But I do, and I also believe that people are called to speak on this from different angles. Mm. And so we have to be careful that we don't assume we know the only way to engage mm. in this issue. And that isn't helpful. We are definitely in pregnancy care work. We are very much about approaching it with grace, you know, walking with compassion Others are more about bringing perhaps a harsh message of education. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reluctant to say those things are wrong. They're just different. Mm. But one thing I would say to anyone who's in a leadership position in a church, you have to be very sensitive to your audience. Uh, I remember one young woman, the pastor at her church posted a message on social media that was very harsh. And she was just beginning a journey to try to reconcile her prior abortion. Yeah. And it was so hurtful to her. And I'm sure the pastor never intended it to come across like that. So it is important to know what you're saying, how it's going to be received and why you're posting it. I think people should be mindful and have a filter and maybe have yeah. others review things before you mm. put stuff out. Um, it's kind of like when you go to the store and you see something you want to buy. I know people have put like a week long rule on themselves. They'll see a thing they want that they don't need <laughs> and they'll wait for a week. And if they still want it at the end of the week, maybe they buy it. Maybe it's, you know, I draft the post, but I wait <laughs> for three days and I try to read it with new eyes to see how it comes across or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh. it's good to have a caution, but not to abandon the tool. Yeah. Well, listen, Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for answering these questions so eloquently. You are such an amazing worker for this movement, and we're so thrilled that you were able to speak with us. Thank you. We are praying for you uh, and that God will use you powerfully for his kingdom. Thank you so much, Luke. Well, there's another episode completed. Thank you to Dr. Lewis and the work that she does with Pregnancy Care Canada. We're back next week with our friend, Dr. Michael Haken, as he does a deep dive into race and color in church history. I love his perspective on things and encourage you to join us for that episode. As always, if you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, or give us a like on social media. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRock editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese. 
audio and technical support from Charles West and the summer 2022 AV team. The theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina Tebakel-Hotz. We'll see you next Monday for our next episode of Transforming Culture.